Movie Friends is a film podcast for everyone, where two friends discuss some of the greatest Dad. films. Yes, Michelle? Did you rehearse that? Well, I'm reading it off a script for the commercial. It's really not a commercial. It's a promo, but oh, did you really think a script could describe our show? Words are generally what are used to describe things, no, so yes. No, 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 no. Our show is fun. It's all about the dynamic between you and me and how you're a movie guy and how I'm definitely not a movie guy. But you are like a movie guy. No, and we talk about movies and we talk about life and cats and we're joking all the time. People listen for that stuff, not the movie stuff. Right, but the movie stuff is like, that's the stuff. Wow. Maybe you should have rehearsed this more. Movie Friends. It's a podcast about film. It's a podcast about friends. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Patreon at Movie Friends Podcast. We want to be your movie friends. Emergencies. We are in a code yellow. Instrument landing system is down. Backup systems won't come up. Every system's dead. These guys shut us down. Attention all controllers. We have a code red alert. We just bought maybe two hours. After that, those planes low on fuel aren't going to be circling. They're going to be dropping on the White House lawn. I want every officer recalled and assembled in body armor with full weaponry in the motor pool in five minutes. It's time to kick it. Our own SWAT team's gone. Well, maybe they're just a little bit more creative than you think. Start looking for a new miracle. Who the hell is this? We don't need a loose cannon on this deck. You get the hell out of my office before I throw you out of my damn airport. You're the wrong guy in the wrong place at the wrong time. Story of my life. They say lightning doesn't strike twice. That's how I spent Christmas last year. They were wrong. McLean? Is this what you were expecting? Nah, this is just the beginning. Bruce Willis, Die Hard 2. Die Harder. Hello and welcome to The Ravens, a movie and TV show podcast. I'm Dom. And I'm Simon. And tonight's movie for debate is... Die Hard 2, Die Harder. So welcome to The Ravens, a movie and TV show podcast where it's always 10.30 at night. It's time to grab the snacks from the sweet cover. Move on upstairs and settle in as tonight's movie for the bait is Die Hard 2, Die Harder. A 1990 classic in my eyes. First of all, Simon... I'm very good. I'm very good. How are you? I'm good. I like that we asked this even though we're on the back of like, this is like one in the bounce, isn't it? You know, we've done one already. This is the second one. But we ask each other how we are on every podcast because we're just nice and polite to each other. And people don't know, you know, someone might listen to this in 10 years time and not know that we've recorded two podcasts in one night. So I like that they sit alone as individual frozen in time capsules of opinions about a movie that perhaps will change later down the line. We may feel different things about these films, these projects, these beloved bits of media that we love so much. But yet, no, today, the 20th of December, 2023, 
These are our opinions, these are our perspectives, and there they will live on the internet for the rest of time. The rest of time that the internet is here and alive. We never <laughs> know when Skynet is going to take us down. Absolutely. So for as long as the internet exists, this podcast will exist. And yeah, Skynet will inevitably kill us all, but it's, you know, it's been worth it. And I've enjoyed the journey. And I'm enjoying the journey. This is very much, I think, the, the beginning of our journey, you might say. I like to think so. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, I think this is definitely an interesting film to talk about. Let's jump straight in. Let's jump straight in with this one because I think there's quite a bit to cover. There's a lot to talk about. And also, um, we're both huge fans of the first film. Now, we covered the first film last year or the year before? Two years ago. Simon is, I was going to say, fingering at me, but holding up two fingers at me is what I mean. Um, uh, we covered Die Hard, so if you haven't listened to it, stop listening to this one, go and listen to that, then come back and meet us again. No, really. No, go on, you can go, but make sure you come back. Um, but we covered Die Hard, we love the film. You love the film? I love it so much. We watched it together just last week for our champagne evening, our new annual celebration around Christmas time. And I'm ready to watch it again. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd, I'd watched it the day before that. <laughs> yeah. I was quite happy to watch it again. And on the rewatch for watching the second one. So I watched the first, I watched the four in order. I know there's a fifth, but I watched the four. Um, and I went back to watch this one, the second one for our podcast. And I thought, should I just watch the first one again? I, d- I considered it. I didn't. I thought, I don't have enough time. I was quite busy today. Um, but, yeah, I just thought we're watching the second one. But, yeah, so let's let's jump into kind of your... Well, how did you find the, the, the rewatch? And also, what's your kind of history with it? I guess we talk about our history a lot with the films and kind of what it means to us, which we'll get to at the end. But where did it all begin for you? Well, I think this may be the only time this has happened on our podcast, potentially. But this was the first time I have ever seen Die Hard 2. Ever. Which is crazy because I, yes, grew up loving watching this film, watching it with you in childhood, watching it with my dad a lot. Like, it's a, the first one is a special film to me. Like, it's a top 10 of all-time classic movie. Not just Christmas, any time. I love it. And I've seen the third one a lot. I've seen the four. I spoke about the fourth one on our... When we did Die Hard 1. It was the first movie I watched over 14 years ago with, with my wife. I was about to say with my current wife, like as if I've <laughs> had me. previous or <laughs> yeah. going to have future with my wife. <laughs> my um, wife number six. I was going to say current wife because then she wasn't even my girlfriend. Like we were just, we had just only just met, you know, this is pre even being boyfriend, girlfriend that obviously then led to, you know, wife, child, all of that stuff. <laughs> but, all of that good stuff but yes um and i've i saw the fifth one in the cinema but the second one has always evaded me i've seen it bits of it like little parts but i'd never seen it in full and i don't know why i don't know if there was like a little bit of a subconscious unconscious part of me that like didn't want to risk it 
because I love the first one so much, like I didn't want there to be a chance of it being ruined or little bits of the the diehard universe being slightly altered or something like that but yeah I'd seen the third one a lot but I mean maybe it's because the third one is not set at Christmas or because it's like there was a bigger length of time in between I mean Die Hard 2 is literally came out the year after Die Hard 1 which is it crazy mm. like, what? just from a production standpoint it's mad isn't it just mad to think about absolutely um so i don't know it just kind of evaded me um and so i finished watching it i started watching it last night i finished watching it today it's the first time i ever seen it in full so yeah so i mean i have no history to it other than i also do remember that my dad in this alcove we've spoken about it many times on on our podcast that my dad had this alcove in the the living room of the house I grew up in that was just filled with stacks of VHS boxes and I remember it being in there because I remember it being like Die Hard 2 and then like the subtitle underneath it being Die Harder and thinking what that's such a cool title but yeah I never went there so yeah it was really cool to finally complete it and I'm excited to talk about it but Dom, as someone that has seen this movie multiple times, you even said it was a classic in your eyes uh, in the intro there. What is your history associated memories with Die Hard 2? So we would have been like wee nippers when this came out. So this is like no chance of seeing this in the cinema. But this is definitely like watch this at home at times. It would be on, you know, on TV, it'd be on whatever. And it would be, it would be on. This, this is a sort of film that gets left on we're gonna watch it um you know we're gonna watch through it and i've i've seen it loads of times probably probably not as much as the first and the third but definitely a lot of times and i think the more i watch it in recent times the more i, I think it it holds out it's it's, it's a good film I, I the more i enjoy it and i think there's a lot of there's kind of a stigma about this film like it's a sequel and it's not great, uh, and it's, you know, it's just the same as the first one, or they're trying really hard uh, to make it like the first one, but I actually th- I actually think there's loads of elements in it that, that hold up and are, and are decent, um, and a thoroughly enjoyable film for me, and it's, I think, like the original Die Hard, it's, it's another Christmas film. Right, also set at Christmas. How do you... Uh, rank the diehards just out just so the listeners have a barometer of what we're talking about here from favorite to least um that's a good question i i think i'm still in the so in order one three two four five yeah i think now i've seen them all (laughs) i would say you've seen five as well right Yes, Uh, yeah, but again, it's I've seen it once, wasn't paying much attention. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think I would go one, three, four, two, five. Oh, now the only reason I'd say four is just because I I really enjoyed four, and I was so hyped when it was going to come out, like because it had been such a gap between three and four. And I know that there's some crazy, silly things in it, like taking down helicopters with cars and things like that. But 
I enjoyed the relationship with Justin Long, with Bruce Willis and Justin Long's character. Um, I've just seen that one a bunch. So, I mean, maybe if I have more viewings of two that they could, um, you know, switch around. But that's how I would currently see it. But, yeah. Okay. So, I do have a couple... I do have a couple of thoughts as to how right first and foremost i enjoyed this movie i thought it was fun (laughs) i liked it and it felt nostalgic without without me ever have seeing it before if that makes sense it felt it's like i love it when i can watch a film like that that's oh it's from this era and even just nostalgic in the way of payphones and pages and not having the technology and then also other things of like what there was phones on airplanes does that still <laughs> exist and does that work like that i mean I, they used to but not not anymore not not that you get nowadays crazy so there's some of those things that um you know felt felt nostalgic and i love john mcclain as a character in general like i love his disgruntledness and his ways but i thought that there was a couple things where it kind of fell into the trap of being a sequel a little bit like there were so many references little references to the first one which is important and is nice for us to see like oh yeah because we all love the first one so much but also i think when you're making a sequel you have to know that this is its own standalone movie and and I think that obviously this is a standalone movie, but I think what would have helped maybe is I thought that this was all going to be in one location. Like I thought it was going to be that he's in the airport or he's somehow he's going to get on the plane or I don't know what, but it's like the first Die Hard is all contained in this one building and John McClane's got to find his way around and be in the air vent here and do the little bit and he does do that to a certain degree but he also there was so many characters to keep track of like not there it wasn't like confusing but in the first one you've got Hans the henchmen um you got Powell on the phone that's kind of it you know that's all we really need to know our guy was in the limo in the basement you know in the parking lot that's it in this one we got like the janitor over here. We got like the airport police guy over here. We got another airport police guy over there. We've got the, you know, there was like so many different like sidekicks. It's like he had too many sidekicks. I thought it would have been a bit more simple if they just kept it to, if it was all contained within the airport in some way. And if he had maybe just like one sidekick that was like his go to, which kind of became like the sort of janitor guy at the end right like if they just had him from the beginning i don't know but besides that um i really enjoyed it and i thought i had no idea about the twist that really got me the twist of that uh the like army guy that had come in was actually also on the same side and when they just before he like slit the dude's throat when he was like oh i wish we had you in whatever conflict it was or yeah i wish i'd been there sir or whatever i thought that he was gonna be the twist and that he was suddenly gonna turn but the fact that they turn on him like i didn't see that coming at all um i thought that the colonel apt name because we all know that i am the motherfucking colonel of this podcast but (laughs) 
I thought he was a good villain. I liked that he was like changed his voice when he was do- like on the radio to the being like pretending to be the air traffic controller and all those little parts. I thought, oh, like, yes, good villain. He's naked doing like Tai Chi or martial arts or whatever he was doing. <laughs> you know, it's just have at it like that. I thought he was a good villain. The only other thing I'd say was I was a little bit unclear on the motives. Like, I know that they're trying to free this the general or whoever this dude is but i didn't quite maybe i just missed it because it was i don't know but why like what did they what did this guy do and why are they all breaking all these laws and killing people whatever to get this guy back um uh, what's well first of all great stuff all great stuff to talk about and i i agree with you in some parts, and I disagree with you in other parts. Um, uh, like, I think, let's see if there's anything on the... Because the whole military thing and their, their whole element... I kind of... Uh, uh, for a long time, I thought it was very much like um, The Rock. You know, where they're like, we want that money for our fallen comrades and, y- you know, this is why we want it and so on and so forth. But I think there's, like, different kind of undertones to it. Um let me see if there's anything. I can't see anything like that stands out as that they're basically like sympathizers for um, Esperanza's cause and his actions and stuff. And they think what they're going to do is basically get themselves a load of money and they can go and retire on a beach somewhere and be kind of untouched and unaffected because, you know, some of them are coming up as dead because they're like mercenaries for hire. And then these troops are going to go to another country, no extradition, and live happily ever after on a beach with like loads of money and stuff. Um, and that's kind of the plot of it, isn't it? They get this guy, hijack his plane, get out of there, loads of money and happy. Um, the only thing I will say is it was pretty much all set on the grounds of the airport. So that church was on the grounds of the airport. So it was all kind of, it oh. is c- kind of contained. So it is all in that one section but there is a lot of travel between like on the snowmobiles and stuff there's a lot of like fucking about on that you know and going across like an icy p- patch and stuff like that but it was is all still within like the the boundary of the airport um, okay i didn't know that i did i thought that the church was just like down the road or something that makes sense well i, I guess i just mean and maybe i'm just trying i'm just being nostalgic for the first one but mm. The first one is so simple in that, you know, he's on like the 30th floor, they're on the 29th floor, whatever it is. It's just like you're in a building. It's very simple, kind of like speed in a way, right? They're in the bus. It's very simple. Um, And in this one, it just felt like he was spent a lot of time going in between the different places that maybe if he was a little bit more confined to this terminal at the airport i don't know or something like that but maybe again that's also because i mean that's not the case in any of the other diehards right like in the third one they're all over the city like they're all over new york yeah right doing like the different riddles and all of that stuff so which we should definitely do by the way like we're gonna have to do diehard three and four and if we're doing that we should also do five as well so yeah we could do that in the like in the springtime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because they're, they're no longer at Christmas. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, I think you're right though. There is a lot of moving around. There's a lot of chasing. There's just there's a lot of chasing uh, that probably didn't need to happen. But you could kind of they're trying to upscale it, aren't they? Because if you think we're going to go from the thirtieth floor to to the thirty third floor, and that we're kind of between that realm for the whole of the first film, aren't we? And then a mm-hmm. bit in the basement, uh, you know, but mostly kind of he's going up and down between those floors uh, and doing his best to kind of kill all these terrorists. Uh, and in this one, yeah, he is traveling the entire grounds of an airport, contending with a lot of different characters. There's all these, yeah. I, I sort of think that the police characters are, with the ex- obviously with the exception of himself and the one person he attaches himself to, which is, which is Al, all the police, other police characters are, are made to be idiots. Yeah, stupid. Like in the yeah. like in the first one. So the the deputy chief of police is an idiot and waits for the feds to turn up, who are a bit like gung ho and stupid. And it's the kind of it's the same with this. You know, we've got the SWAT guys. We'll protect you. And it's like, well, who's who's? Well, we've we've got your back. Well, who's watching your back? Um, um, then you, uh, and they all die. And you've got um, literally like all the police that just don't want to listen to him and think he's a problem and you're breaking all these rules McLean and it just becomes that yeah. all the way through um, mm. uh, and then like when we get to the third one which we'll discuss like the police aren't idiots in that one they're, they're you know it's like they recognise like this is his people and these are the people that he works with and needs to trust and stuff but the people in like Nakatomi because he didn't work in LA and then the people in Washington because they're in Washington uh, DC mm. they're not the people he works with so he doesn't trust them and they don't trust him and it, it's like, <laughs> they will do things a little bit differently and yeah it just becomes an uncomfortable kind of situation so I totally appreciate what you're saying about how spread out it is and all these like gimmicky characters because it, it does feel like that especially when he's getting the parking ticket right at the beginning but it kind of loops back to it at the end doesn't it you know and that's kind of the point but yeah it's not um for that kind of side of it it's not great but i, I, I really i really enjoy the action in it <laughs> oh yeah overall i really enjoyed the film it was just those those couple thoughts uh stood out but i really like when he got the parking ticket and he was saying you know, come on, help me out. I've got an in-law that wishes I was a dentist. Like it's such a, <laughs> that's such a good line. Like, and so, it's so good. And just him in general, when he's like working around the airport and he's like, uh, faxing, uh, to pow and, you know, with the women and all of the stuff, like, it's just, I could watch him be John McClane all day. Yeah. Like, I love Bruce Willis so, so much. And I think the world does. That's why it's so sad um, what he's going through or what he is uh, living with, with his, like, form of, of dementia. It's just so sad because I feel like we're, we all collectively feel like we're losing someone that we all love and that we've watched in films for years. And, I mean, it's not... I mean, he's had such a successful career. I mean, he's in so many films uh, that I love. I mean, you know, down to Armageddon to like, you know, more not as serious films, but, you know, things like The Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, such a good film. Do you like Unbreakable? Uh, Yeah, I've seen it a couple of times. It's a good film. So good. And um, Samuel Jackson, you know, so if we're talking about Die Hard 3. 
uh, and obviously Die Hard, and the, you know, there's so many others. Pulp Fiction, like his um, "Look Who's Talking," <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is the best. Um, so yeah, I mean, I love watching him in this. I love all of the smoking. So the smoking is so nostalgic. <laughs> smoking in airports, just yeah. And I know you feel that way too, right? Yeah, about oh, Bruce absolutely. Withers. Yeah. Um, it, it just watching him just stand in the terminal building and light up like whenever. Just I'm gonna have a cigarette whenever I fucking want. Um, yeah, it was, it's it's so, it's so weird to see. So weird to see, but it's it's good. Like I I I like the 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 feel of the film and exactly what you said. Like I could watch him be John McClane all the time. And I think that's for me what makes this film actually really good. And I did find I I found out that in the first one he ad libbed a lot of lines, so some of the like funny stuff that that was Bruce Willis throwing that in, and they gave him kind of creative license to do the same. So I think they tried to write some. So what one thing I did feel watching it is they've tried to make the one liners too much like the first film. Mm-hmm. Like I want to make this a quotable film. Yeah, is how is how it felt, and it isn't as quotable, because you know, other than Yippee motherfucker, which he says in the first one anyway, that that it's not as quotable as the first one. Yeah, um, it does try to be with the sort of like, what is it with you and terrorist John? You know, he's like talking to himself, um, which are like <laughs> some of the be- the best mo some of the best moments in the first one, is when he's just talking to himself. He's like pacing mm. around and like. Why don't you do something, John? Well, then you'd be dead too, jerkweed, or whatever he says. Like <laughs> It's like the... And that's what's so great about John McClane, is that he's scared. Like, is in, he's not Arnold. He's not Stallone. He's not, you know, Van Damme. He's not someone that we're just expecting to be invincible. He's meant to be just like a flawed human being. And that's why he's so relatable as an everyman action hero because mm. we would be scared too, you know? And it's like, well, he gives us hope that we could also run through the glass that's on the floor <laughs> barefoot, or we could also, you know, jump onto the wing of a plane to try and take down these terrorists to save our wife. You know, it's that. And, and he continued that in this film. Like there's moments where he's scared and he's vulnerable. Um, it's, he just, it's so so good like he plays John McClane better than anyone could play John McClane and when I see him I just see that character I don't see as much as we see Bruce Willis I don't see him I see John McClane well that's one thing we discussed as well when you you know came over to mine for a little Christmas get together was who who could play that character now and we couldn't think of anyone really anyone suitable I had this conversation with Ethany the day after and I came up with one that I think would have been good, but it's the same time period. We were talking about who could play John McClane today. But, you know, and maybe we already said it, like, that night, but you know who could play John McClane would have, pretend, not as good, but in a different way, would have been Mel Gibson. Did we say it? I think you might have mentioned it, yeah. Because for, for, from that time, you said Mel Gibson, and from, like, out, like this time... We, we kind of hinted at Chris Pine, didn't we? So Chris yes. Pine is probably someone that could handle a, a, a John McClane, you know, as a, a as someone who's good at... Like, he was a great Kirk, you know, Captain Kirk. So um, he has kind of... He's got potential. 
but we, I, I wouldn't ever want to see that. I wouldn't ever want to see a, a Die Hard remake or a retry or For sure. whatever you'd call it. I think it would just leave it alone. Leave it as it is. It's perfect as it is. Never um, touch it. Never yeah, touch please. it. Never. Never. Um, okay, so let, let's talk about the financials of the film then. Okay. I've got that information in front of me. I've just come and had a little <laughs> look. Mm-hmm. Um, how much do you think the budget was for Die Hard 2? Ooh. I'm going to say... $55 million. I mean, it's not a terrible guess. Oh, but it's not, not good. But it's not good. You're a little bit far away. Oh, over. It's you're under. Oh, I'm under. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, because I say this because we just recorded Jingle All the Way, which was <laughs> sixty million, but it was you know six years later, so I didn't know if maybe budgets of movies had gone up by then. Okay, so let me have another go. Seventy, seventy five. Seventy, yeah. But it's 70. 70 is good. You're like it, it says 62 to 70. We'll go with a higher figure. I think 70 is about right. Um, there's a lot of explosions. There's a lot of stuff getting blown up. So I imagine that costs a, a pretty penny. And by this point, um, Bruce, old Brucey boy is doing pretty well for himself. So uh, I think um, probably earning a pretty penny out of this film. I have just seen that this was released on July the 4th, randomly. Oh. <laughs> so although it's like at Christmas time, it was released it on was Independence released in July. Day. <laughs> yeah, random. Yeah, maybe it's, it came out for my birthday. There you go. There you um, go. How much do you think it's taken at box office? This is total. One hundred and eighty million. It's actually taken quite a bit more. It's taken two hundred and forty million. Oh, it's good. Which is pretty good pretty good going you know they made their money back and then a lot more on top so it's decent now for the all-important imdb rating which is kind of like a kind of like a sacred thing now really isn't it i'd like i like to think that i'm quite good with the imdb ratings but i might not we'll see i reckon like a 7.1 that is bang on my friend Okay, I didn't. I swear to you, I didn't cheat. I haven't looked it up. I trust you. Spot on. It's seven point one. What does the first one get? Maybe like eight point two or something. Definitely getting more than eight. Definitely, I would say like I would put it at like a nine, but I reckon it's maybe eight point two, eight point five. It's eight point two. (laughs) Oh, we got to do them all now. Die oh, Die Hard 3. I haven't seen Die Hard 3 in so long. 1995. Die Hard 3. Die Hard with a Vengeance. Jeremy Irons. Seven, what are you thinking? 7.3. Ooh, 7.6. Ooh, 7.6. Spicy. What's Die Hard 4 called? Die Hard 4.0. Live or, Free or Die or, Hard. Yeah, I think that's what it's called in America. But oh, 4.0, okay. What do you think that got? Uh, 6.7 It got 7.1 Oh wow There you go yeah It's in the realms of my girlfriend being able to watch it as well So <laughs> I, might, I might make her They all are so far It's only Die Hard 5 that we know is going to come under sadly Die Hard 5 A good day to die hard 
is like, s- oh, have a guess. Oh, the well, the way you were reacting, I was going to say it's a <laughs> six something, but now yeah, I will say what I originally was going to say. I was going to say six point one, but the way you're reacting makes me think it's like a five point five or something. <laughs> it's five point two. Oh, <laughs> that's bad. That's so bad. For IMDb, anything that's a five point anything is not worth watching, basically. <laughs> there must be exceptions to that, but... I guess yeah. so. I, guess I think so. they were going to do a Die Hard 6, but I must be off the table now, sadly. Unless they make it his son or something that carries on, but... Yeah, yeah. I but I think they should just leave. Just just leave it. Just leave, leave it. Leave it as it is. Don't ruin it. We're happy with the film as it is. Thank you. Well, can you give us like a Dom style synopsis of 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 this one of what's going on? Yes, absolutely. So John gets to um is it Dallas Airport in Washington DC? Sure. Let me sure. Yeah, Dallas Airport. Washington DC, he's an LAPD cop, and we all know from the first one he was NYPD, so he's moved to LA to be with Holly. Wonderful. He's moved there to be with her and the kids, and it's a amazing experience. Um uh, because I because that's the thing I have questions for him when we speak talk about the third one is the relationship. That, is that Holly, Holly Holly disappears. She's gone. She's vanished, basically. And it's ba- all based on a phone call. It's ridiculous. But we'll get to that one day. Um, but he, he's there to pick up Holly from the airport. He's managed to get to uh, DC a, like a day or two before she arrives. So he's there with the in-laws, um, as you mentioned. And he's finding it a bit of a struggle. They're piling sugar into the kids. And all he wants to do is spend a bit of alone time with Holly. Holly's on her flight. She's due to land, like, kind of within an hour. He's there to pick her up. He cocks up a few things, you know. Uh, unfortunately, the car gets towed, and it's a brand-new car, and it's his mother-in-law's car. She hates him enough already. Can't you do me a favour? You know, I'm a cop too. Cop's not playing bag. He's like, no, this car's being sent to the impound. Get over yourself, big LA. And they think because he's, like, an LA cop, he thinks he's big time and stuff. He's, so he even throws in the... I was a New York cop, and they're like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. So anyway, he continues to kind of sit and wait. And as he's sitting and waiting, there's kind of news reports and stuff. We find out about this general who's being extradited, who's being moved so that he could face trial when he's done this and that wrong. And then we see the colonel, and the colonel, like and a bit of his backstory, and there's a news reporter. And the news reporter is... Um, kind of done reports on him before and she's like oh can I have a comment can I have a comment and he's like I've got two words fuck and you <laughs> which is a terrible line but fair enough um, and then essentially we move into him and his band of mercenaries and like terrorists I guess they get called hijacking the airport they, they hold the airport to ransom we have a lot of planes in the area there's a snowstorm coming in we have a lot of planes circling the airport that can't land because they turn the lights off to the runway. They have full control. They're waiting for their guy on their plane to, to come in so that they can then release everything back, make way in their, you know, big plane that they're going to steal and then get to that beautiful island where they can just relax on a beach and rest for the rest of their lives. Which is exactly what 
Han says in the first one, right? It was all we'll be sitting on the beach earning 20%. That's so it. that they exactly. have the exact same motive as the antagonists of the first movie. Yes, exactly. It's, we want we want our money and we want to just hide and just do what we want with it. You know, leave us alone. Um, and I think to a degree, let them. <laughs> like, is don't it we worth all, the fuss? Don't we all want that? <laughs> what, to steal the money? Take the money. Just take, take it. Take Go. this douchebag. Just no, he needs to suffer the consequences of his actions. He obviously did something douchey. So there you go. Absolutely. So yeah, um, and and there's just like basically chaos in between, <laughs> all, all the way through. So we we McLean kind of first notices he's sort of sitting in the lounge. First notices these two guys doing something. It was three guys doing something a bit weird. Um, and they go off in different directions and they've got like different parcels under their arm and he goes over to the police officers that issued him the ticket to basically give them a warning and say there's some weird stuff happening in your airport and you kind of need to pay attention but when he goes over he's like officers I've just seen and they turn around it's the guy that gave him the ticket he's like I've just seen it all this and he doesn't really want to pursue it with them because they're not going to be useful so you know what he's John McLean he's going to do it himself he makes the dude open the door, goes in, and has a, has a shootout in baggage. Well, not baggage claim, in, like, the baggage... What do you call it? Transporting... Yeah, I guess on all the all the belts, all the conveyor belts. All the belts conveyor belts, yeah. That for are going to the, the relevant gates and that, which is just so upsetting. We said this... So many re- people aren't getting did, their luggage. Didn't we say this recently, that, like, somewhere, that how have they not got a more modernized i mean okay this is 1990 but today baggage claim works in the same way how is there not a more modernized way so that someone we didn't say this recently uh i don't think so but it's so different like if you if you look at i can't remember what airport is there's an airport in germany it might even be in berlin they have the most advanced like baggage transportation system in the world so how does it work it's unbelievable it like it, it as it passes through i mean it still works on conveyor belts and stuff but it's it's just like it's so clever it doesn't rely on like one conveyor belt sending something through to another place it it will scan the the luggage so you could have like one desk open everybody goes through that desk with all that luggage going to multiple different locations and as it goes through a certain point it scans the tag or it scans where it's going and it sends it off to the relevant place. It it, re- it diverts it and directs it and moves it rather than it being just like a one preset conveyor belt. Very so that, clever stuff. That sounds good, but that's not the part that gets me. The part is that you get off a flight and then you stand around and all of the baggage just goes around in a circle so anyone can pick up my suitcase and I can pick up anybody else's suitcase and it mm-hmm. happens like when when I was 17 and my my parents took me on a holiday to America which was great and we came back and someone else just picked up my mum's suitcase and so she got it back like a week later but you know she didn't have her stuff for a week and it's like how is there not a more sophisticated way of it being i don't know i don't know the answer okay i'm not like (laughs) elon musk or mark zuckerberg or whoever that will create the solution but i just mean how is it still the same as 35 years ago 
Yeah, uh, I, I, that bit. Yes, we did. Th- we did discuss that bit, and uh, I, I totally agree with you. I actually saw a picture today of a woman that has her face as the design on the suitcase. suitcase. Yeah, that's so you perfect. Could never ever mistake it. As that's my face. Look, yeah. is that what we need? Passport kind of photos on our suitcases. The suitcase-sized <laughs> passport photo. Yeah, maybe. I think that's a good idea. I might do it, but I'll put like Luna, my dog's face, on it and be like <laughs> distinct. That's yeah, nice. Okay, but yeah, you're right. We need to uh, like if we fix that, I think I think that's Dragon's Den worthy. I think it would be worthy of some sort of monetary compensation. Absolutely, that we hundred percent deserve. Yeah, but he has yeah he has a shootout in there. So the and the action is really good in the film um lots of good action beats lots of shooting <laughs> the one bit that really surprised me that i thought if this happened now he'd be dead is where this is much later in the film but where john is trying to prove a point to the like police chief by shooting the machine gun blanks at him i was like he'd oh be shot God. by somebody else would shoot him because he's just opened fire yeah the, the rest they would have shot him and shot the police chief and everyone who was in the wit like the other side of the window to the office that was opposite them as well. They would have just opened fire and gone like hell for leather on them. And yeah, I, I thought exactly the same because you know, f- for those that aren't quite sure, obviously when he's changing the magazines, like the, in the gun, if it's red, it's live ammunition. If it's blue, it's blanks. So he he figures that out when he's on his ski mobile, um, and decides to shoot it at the the captain. Who's like shaking and all stuff, which you would be because you think someone's just about to unload an entire clip of bullets at you, um, and nothing happens. He's like, "This, this is exactly my point. This is nothing has happened. Um, you know, you're not paying attention. The, the soldiers are in in, in on it. They're not on our side, um, and then they can't track them down. So yeah, as I, I thought it was really good though. I thought it's good, but you're absolutely right. He would 100 percent have like a thousand bullets in him by the end of that. Here's great drama building and a great moment of suspense. And the whole film was good at that. Is there any, like, like, so with the actual aeroplane scenes and stuff, like when the, when the general's plane first lands and he smacks him in the face and jumps in, firstly, there aren't manhole covers and stuff on on runways. That's not allowed, but you know, (laughs) it's John McClane. He's got to get there somehow. Um, when he smacks him in the face and gets to the plane, what are you thinking? Like, as someone who hadn't seen the film before, what are you thinking at that point? Are you thinking, oh, he's going to, like, have him hostage for a while? Or are you are you thinking this is going to go in a slightly different direction? Because I, I can imagine there's a few little turns that that change, that, that might have changed the, the path of the story for you. Yeah, absolutely. I thought, yes, I thought he was going to have him as a hostage. I also thought that... I don't know how, and obviously it never ended up happening, but I thought that he was somehow going to end up on the plane with Holly. Like I thought, and it might end in a similar way with Hans, like how it did in the first one of him having like him and the Colonel or the general or whoever would have their like final fight on the plane. Obviously it didn't happen. I don't know how that would have happened, but I had that kind of feeling I like the moment where John, they all throw the grenades in when John's sort of in the cockpit and he uses the uh, ejector seat to get out. I did think 
wow, there's quite a long timer on these grenades because I thought that they're like, you know, you pull the pin out, throw them, and then a couple seconds they go. But, but I like that, and he can't, you know, got out just in the nick of time. Just on that, I always thought that as well. I always thought, God, these grenades are going on for ages, but they don't pull the pins out on them all. It's only the last one they pull the pin out of. Oh, so that one would trigger the rest to blow up. Yeah, so they're just chucking them all in, lobbing them in, and he's like, shit, and realises that they're not going to go off immediately, but there's going to be one. in a sec- So that gives him the time to get in the seat, do the seatbelt up, and pull, pull the ejector cord. Um, so yeah, they're, they're just lobbing Because I always thought the same as well. I always thought, oh my God, they're, they're pulling the pins out, throwing these grenades in, but none of them are going off. It, that makes no sense. It gives him like... Gives him like almost a minute, <laughs> which it should be about five seconds, but it gives him about a minute to get in the seat. But I realise on rewatching, they're not pulling the pins out. It's the last one. They pull the pin out and throw it in. So it creates a bigger explosion. There we go. That makes sense. So there you go. I didn't realise that. So yeah, that that will make sense. Um, but yeah, so I thought, I thought that, that that would maybe happen somehow. I... Like I said at the beginning, I didn't see the twist coming of the like army guys being in on it. But it also makes sense because it was sort of seeded at the beginning when John was like, well, just one set of guys. And like you said, you know, who's got your back? So I thought that was all that was all really good and took me by surprise. So yeah, I I I really I really enjoyed it. The stuff on the plane, I was surprised of how many callbacks there were to the first one. The fact that she was Holly was on the plane with the douchebag reporter from before, who, in my opinion, right, he's a he's a dick from the first one, but he was pretty unfairly treated on this plane. They didn't give a shit <laughs> about him, tase him, walk over him, you know. Like, they really treated him like shit. And, okay, fair enough. He was a dick. But I don't think he warranted this level of <laughs> treatment, did he? I I don't know. I mean, there's an element where he gives away the information because he creates the panic in the airport because everybody's pretty calm. It's true. And then all of a sudden, it's like because of his report, they all know that there's these terrorists and they've taken over. And then there's just this absolute stampede of people trying to get out of the airport and it creates havoc and then all the police like crash into each other when they they decide to like gear up and go out and it's because of all that chaos and he then has to go and get the reporters john i mean has to go and get the reports helicopter to then go and chase them down like near the end so there's all that kind of lunacy that happens on the back of his report so i i kind of see the reasons for it but also yeah you probably didn't need to like shock him with the, the little taser that woman's got she's like don't you love technology i got a fucking taser yeah. <laughs> i like, just Whoa. i just tase him and she managed to get that on a flight no less i know i know like this is crazy because pre-2001 you can take anything on a fucking plane <laughs> right i i also was shocked by um Oh, we're we're you know over Washington, so we can get TV now. What? Like they can just get normal TV? <laughs> you can ring someone from the plane on this like detachable phone, I guess. Just just the he- the handset, and you can watch TV. And they watch The Simpsons. The si- and it was like I think 
Is that maybe like the first or second episode? That's like season one, super early Simpsons, because they're like oh, doing no the. Idea. They all get shocked by like the psychiatrist or whatever. Like it's a classic Simpsons episode. It's like ah, oh. what it really made me nostalgic for. It just made me want to throw my phone out the window. Like I, <laughs> I, I, like I really hate how connected the world is, but yet yeah. I also love it. Like, as in, we wouldn't be able to do this right now. Like, be we're on Zoom, and but we're but we're also remote recording our audio, which will later be edited to get all through technology and the internet and everything, and will later then be, you know, uh, released on the internet for people to listen to, and obviously all the different medias that both you and I enjoy from the internet and being able to look things up and order pizzas and book ubers and order nandos and whatever else right is wonderful but i also sometimes wish i just had like a pager or something and just didn't have to worry about this stuff or could just have that like walk around with nothing in your pocket except for your wallet like i miss that i want it like we basically had phones since we were about 13 right yeah yeah Pretty much, there's there's always been that constant element in your pocket and something to look at and something to focus on. And I I think like we we know my attention wavers because y- you know you're a advocate of pay attention to me, Dominic, and I I do my very best. But you I, do very I find well. myself I find myself watching stuff now, and if I'm not fully engaged in kind of what I'm watching, like it's something I've seen before or it's something that I think. It's got a little bit boring. Like I started watching a new show on Prime. It's not new to Prime. It's new to me, and I found myself at points going, "Oh shit! I have no idea what's just happened." Because I'm looking at my phone. Because I'm distracted by it. And I think John McClane isn't distracted by a mobile phone. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. got a pager that beeps and alerts uh, like a sentry guard to his presence being there. Because Holly has a phone that she uses to contact him. But he's not standing there like flicking through stuff, like messing about texting people. He's out there running around abandoned churches and killing bad people. You could say that John is more present than we all are. You know, like we are all just distracted the entire time. It's really bad. Um, My phone's actually, I think, low-key like breaking right now. Um, Like it's doing this thing of where... When I like, you know, when you sort of swipe up to go from one app to the next app, it like shakes, like not the phone, but like the screen shakes. Like I think it's, um, I've had it for probably about coming on three years now. And that's usually the life cycle of an iPhone, isn't it? That (laughs) it's like, I can't live anymore. (laughs) What, what is your, what number, what like? generation is your i think i have the 12 and uh, my dad just got a new one i think he has the 15 right they're at 15 so i'm like three generations behind i've got 11 oh but it's going Uh, all right uh no it's a piece of shit (laughs) i said to i said to ruby last week or the week before i need to get a new phone like even with work so we have to do a lot of two-factor authentication stuff and a lot of it is used on our phone. So when I log into something, it then sends a notification to my phone and I have to either type in a code 
or accept it somehow on my phone, right? It's pretty normal for that sort of mm-hmm. this day in life, right? But I get prompts and messages from those applications all the time saying, you need to update your phone because the security settings that Apple release that the device and the app needs. But my phone can't just, I can't just like set it to update anymore. I have to actually plug it into my MacBook and leave it for an hour and a half, maybe two hours to to run the update because it can't do it on its own. And then it overheats and it goes all sorts of crazy. So I've been saying I need to go and get a new one. Maybe we should go and get, I was going to say his and hers (laughs) iPhones. You know what I mean? Like joint iPhones. But maybe we should just say fuck it and we should just throw the iPhones away and go and get pages and live in the woods. Okay. Is that buy to jobs, buy to everyone just you and me in the woods and our pages that we have no use for because we have no phone to beep each other with get a landline just forget the pages let's just go off into the woods i just okay (laughs) (laughs) i'll come back on my son's 18th birthday (laughs) happy birthday son i had to go in the woods one day you'll understand you have had enough you would have had yeah. enough. He had to go. It's nothing to do with you. It's a technology thing. Uh, the phones are annoying. I, I think we all have to use a degree of discipline in this day and age to not be run by the phone. To, and, and I get stuck in it. I get stuck in YouTube shorts, Instagram reels. Sometimes I get stuck in the Instagram reels or the YouTube shorts. But I'm not even sure which app I'm on. It could yeah. be either. I could be on YouTube or on Instagram. I don't know. They've merged into being the same thing. Yeah. I, I don't use YouTube like in that way. So I, I guess I don't get stuck. But I know that Facebook is very similar and, and has basically reels. It's basically the same thing. And it's basically TikTok. And it's basically this. It's basically that. It's a, they're all the same. They're all the same thing. It's They're all kind of merging and taking over our lives. And that's why it's, you know... I'd rather be John McClane in 1980 than anyone now. And funny that we talked about the fourth one, the fourth film. He's just like, how the fuck? Like he says to... Um, Justin thingy, Long's character. Ju- yeah, he says, how do you know all this stuff? And Justin's like, I, I don't know, I just do. And that's kind of like, it makes sense, is it? Because you just learn new technology as you get it. Like you get a new Mac, but you get a new iMac or you get a new PC or whatever. You play around with it, you have a go. The technology's changed, it's upgraded, it's different, and you mess about with it. But um, you don't necessarily always understand why you can do the things you can do. But, yeah, it's mad. But he... I kind of think that John... Let's just jump back to to Die Hard 2. Yes, yes. (laughs) I think he has, like, superior intelligence. Or they Mm. they set out for him to have superior intelligence. So that it's it's almost framing Die Hard as as a superhero film in a way well he kind of goes so, that way well you, you mean bit like as in he's just operating on a different level to all of the antagonists yeah he can he can see everything kind of as it's happening he figures things out really quickly he's uh, much better at what he does than anyone else he you know survives all of these things he's kind of like um detective batman do you not think? I do. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I, and that is a bit of a difference to the first one because the first one, 
He's just an ordinary guy that's caught in this situation. I mean, not quite ordinary because he's a police officer, so he's had some training, right, and can fight and, and whatever. But he is just an ordinary guy in an extraordinary situation. And then in this one, it's like, oh, here we go again kind of thing. <laughs> like, he's the guy for the job. And there's also that aspect of... Like that you have in like Lethal Weapon as well, where it's like, oh, I just blew up a building. I did all of that. And the chief police officer's like, McLean, you know. <laughs> like, In fact, what year did Lethal Weapon come out? Did it come out after this? In my mind, I'm thinking like. I thought one hmm. of them was 90, uh, 80s as well. Yeah, maybe maybe it's like 88, 89, like the first one. 87. Ooh, good year. Great year. <laughs> Maybe that's why we liked them so much. Yeah, yeah. I think but we yeah, have 80, to do 87. it soon. Lethal weapon needs to happen soon. I'm ready. Oh, we just to. need. We just need to do an opening monologue <laughs> about 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 Mel. Mel. We need to <laughs> make. We, well, as long as we make our feelings clear on Mel Gibson, and then it's a because yeah. there has to be a. There has to be a separation of the art and the artist, but there also has to be... I'm starting to go into it now already, but here is a preview. There also... You have to put a line in where cancel culture is. Like, cancelling someone, if they have done wrong and they refuse to see it... Acknowledge. Acknowledge, be accountable, amend, heal, whatever it may be fine cancel that motherfucker but if somebody also comes out and says hey yeah i messed up and here's what i'm trying to do to learn from it here's what i'm trying to do to put things right and also i'm a human being we you make mistakes you do you know you do good things you do bad things whatever if we're not able to forgive someone or believe in rehabilitation because also at the same point you can't forgive on other people's behalves, you know, like the people and the, the cultures, communities that he wronged are not ones that I belong to. So it's not like I'm the person that can say, yes, you are forgiven. Each person has to make their own mind up, right? But if we're not able to believe in rehabilitation, forgiveness, growth, evolution, then what are we doing? Mm. Yeah, well said. Spot on. Uh, and And... There's a lot of people that don't deserve forgiveness. There's a lot of people that don't uh, haven't tried to earn forgiveness as well, because I, I think forgiveness is something that is that is earned mm. um, if you do it in the right way. Um, uh, but there are people that you know have tried to make amends. But yeah, I, I guess if we're not part of a a, a culture or um, you, you know a, an aspect like that that has has felt wronged by these things then I, I guess it's harder for us to uh, truly appreciate it and that and appreciate the feeling of it but if, if if someone yeah i think if someone's trying to do things the right way then you know let's try and uncancel them a little bit yeah i think so but uh, you're right sometimes we have to separate the art from the artist uh, are, we, are we do it every week in what way so we do oh you mean with one tree hill Right, right, right. So I started to think you were like saying you have to separate the art from the artist with like Chad Michael Murray or something with like <laughs> or whatever. And I was well, like, how how dare you? How dare? You? No. Yes, no, you're right, exactly. Like as in we, One Tree Hill that we predominantly cover on this podcast channel is 
or was created by a predominant member of the Me Too movement or not member, predator but that the Me Too movement yeah. was about. So, yeah, we do. And we do separate it because there were it's not just that one guy. There's like 200, 300 people or however many that worked on that show. And it's unfair for all of those people's work to be soured by one douchebag. Um, but there's an example of someone that never came forward, never took accountability, never spoke to it, never apologized, never, you know, and that's not to therefore say, oh, that's okay then because they've apologized or whatever, but at least it begins the work of something, you know, of change. Um, but for someone to just do nothing says volumes about them and yes you can remain cancelled forever you know mm. so but sorry die hard too. die harder what did you think who was your favorite like sidekick of john mcclain because you kind of had like the the guy the sort of airport police guy and you also had like the janitor guy uh, and the sort of technician bloke as well yes um, I, I like the Janet guy, Marv. I, I always think Marv's quite good. I thought he was still in my records, you know, and that's all he cares about. That, like, I don't care what's going on up there. I've I've worked down in this sort of dungeon for years and I, I'm quite happy being left alone. And then when he's driving the buggy, he's like, get out of the way. He's like, McLean, jump on with, like, jump on with the old lady or whatever he says. And he's just, like, drives off. And, yeah, I, I think, um, I, I think Marv, Marv is definitely a, a highlight for me when he appears is like, I'll get you a liner for that coat. <laughs> yeah. Constantly on who, about that. Who was, who was yours? Yeah. I like, I liked him too. And I especially liked that it came back to him at the end, which was nice. They also had the better reporter this time, like the woman that wouldn't let their hug or Holly and John's embrace at the end. She sort of put her hand over the camera to sort of be like you know this is a private moment so i guess maybe that was to give some redemption to journalists in from <laughs> the second one compared to the first one well, what about holly in this because she's got a great demeanor that continued from the first film over to this one that kind of she kind of has not an attitude but she is self-assured but in like a good way you know yeah, she's very. Um, I mean, she gives off that that sort of perfect business like uh, kind of dominant character, doesn't she? She's she's like from the first one. We know that she's like quite high up in the company, quite important. Handles you know million dollar deals for breakfast, right? <laughs> uh, and and she's got a funky Rolex that fell off the side of a building. Um, but she's, you know, she's, she's quite, um, confident. She's comfortable in what, in what she's doing. She, you know, believes in what she's saying. And she also kind of has a lot of strength in her character as well. Uh, and I mean like kind of mental strength as well as phys physical strength. Cause although she's scared, like, yes, they find out the plane could go down. She's like, okay, we've, we've, we've kind of got this. She's not panicking she's quite calm in a in a crisis and I, I think she's got to be to be able to handle john mm. i think she needs to be in that situation to be able to say to him well i'm going to la i'm going to go and work there because i've got this great opportunity I'm taking the kids if you want to come you come and then it's a bit fishy 
and he ends up being there. So she she ends up, you know, convincing him that that's the right thing to do. And he sorts himself out. He's like, yes, of course I'm going to move there with you. I'm an idiot. And then, you know, this film, I actually really like their connection in this film because although they, they speak to each other a couple of times while she's on the plane, which is just bizarre, but when she's finally back, it's like it, it didn't start with an argument. It didn't start because, you know, he was invited to the party by accident, like as a mistake, and it didn't start with an issue. It started with him being there to pick her up because they're going to have a nice Christmas together, and it was a nice feeling. So it's nice that they were nice to each other throughout. You know, and like the first one, it starts with an argument. It's very tense between them. But yeah, she's a great character, a great actor, um, and comes across really well. And I, I actually think, you know, sometimes when you watch like the side scenes or like the, the secondary plot, you sort of think, I want to get back to the main bit. And I, I don't ever feel that with this film. I'm quite happy watching mm. it. Yeah, and it looked like a really nice, were they in first class or business class? I'm not sure. Oh, no, not first class because the reporter guy wanted to be in first class right so they must have been in like middle class if that exists a business coach i don't know they weren't in coach were they because they wouldn't have been able to be comfortable they'd been sitting on top of each other there was a good amount <laughs> of leg room that they had there yeah. leather seats big seats big it's, seats yeah look nice she got a window seat chilling Sim- throw the simpsons yeah. on <laughs> Champagne for free. Yeah. Decent. That's it. <laughs> so, okay. And then what What else do we have? A lot of innocent people died. The guy at the yeah. church, you know, a few others. Pilots of, of the general's plane. Oh, was it? Maybe I was mistaken. I was watching it on my phone as well. But was one of like the curly-haired pilots, the guy from Con Air, who's your guy from Star Trek? Uh yes, yeah, Cole Meany, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember yeah. from Con Air, you were like, he's important to you because he was in one of the Star Treks. Yeah, he was in Deep Space Nine. He's actually in Star Trek: The Next Generation. He's in quite quite a bit of that, but he's mostly known for being in Deep Space Nine. Uh, he plays Chief O'Brien. Um, and yeah, he's yeah he's yeah well good memory yeah well remembered, but he is yeah he's he's also the um, DEA agent isn't he that gives the guy the gun. Yeah, like yeah, in Con Air, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In Con Air, yeah. It was this? Um, does this yeah. predate him being in Star Trek? Uh, no, I don't think so. No, because Star Trek was eighty-seven, and I think Ooh. he's in the first episode. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's in the first episode, but Cole Meany, yeah, he's uh, yeah, a big part in the, the Star Trek kind of canon, I guess. Um, so, yeah, good memory. I like it. His, his, <laughs> his also he the... <laughs> yeah, yes, of course. Well, he also dies in the first episode of Gangs of London, which I don't know if you've seen that. Um, this know. is British. Um, I've only watched the first season, which is really good. Uh, we watched it during COVID. I don't know if you've... Um, what would it be on? Do you have Now TV? Uh, yes. Well, I have access to Now TV. Yeah, he always has access to something. <laughs> well, I think you can get it from there. It was on like Sky Atlantic or whatever. But yeah, Gangs of London, I think, I think you'd like it. It's pretty 
gritty. I'll tell you that now. But it's nice. pretty high budget as well for like a British um, TV show. I'm trying to think. I'm, I'm sure he was in like uh, Layer Cake as well. Oh Something yeah, like I could see that. I could see that. He's in The Damned United, which is a great film if you like film football films. He's really good in that. Um, sure he was in like layer cake or something i don't know oh yeah he's a layer cake yeah 2004 layer cake there you go but yeah call mini what a guy well is there anything else you want to say about die hard 2 before we get into into the judgments Mm, i don't think so i think i'll uh i'll save it for judgments yeah that's it what about you anything (laughs) anything we missed off anything you think oh we should have mentioned that uh, I don't think so. I, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed some of the the one liners, even though they didn't hit like the first one. I still it still felt nostalgic. It's like I fa- I found a hidden gem. Like there's a few movies I watched this year earlier this year when I was ill. I watched things like a uh, Total Recall and The Running Man and things like that. There's like movies that I'd never seen before, but from that era um late 80s early 90s it's like yes like it just feels in a king with all of the other kind of movies from that time and this felt like that to me so yeah i really enjoyed watching it i'm sure i'll I'll watch it again um i'm sure this will be the first of many but before we get into our judgments if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and how could you not check us out ravenshoops.net why Dom? Because John McClane goes through hoops, but yet he can also go through nets. Ravenshoops.net. Dom, what's over there on Ravenshoops.net? There's so much stuff on there, so much content. Our Patreon is full of these wonderful, wonderful tiers. It's like the best cake you've ever seen. <laughs> and then some of those tiers include coming onto a podcast and talking with us about your favorite film, a film of your choice. You would be an ultimate raven. But there's loads of stuff on there. We've got loads of content, loads of One Tree Hill stuff, loads of film stuff on there as well. Uh, and if you do want to join us, you are interested in joining us, then yeah, head over there, ravensoups.net, find out. But, you know, you can also support us without going to our Patreon. Wherever you are right now, whatever you're listening to this on, if you haven't followed us or given us a little rating, if you could follow us, give us a little five star, that'd be marvellous. Let other, Share the love with other people. Share the pod. Other people want to hear us too. You know it. Don't be so selfish with the podcast. Share it. Yeah, and keep it to yourself, Canada. (laughs) (laughs) We appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. And yeah, let's talk about our judgments. So Dom, on movie episodes, as you very well know, we do two ratings. Your subjective personal rating out of 10 and then with your film critic hat on out of 10 what you got for us um so subjectively i really like this film i enjoy it i think i can just happily have it on and watch it i can watch like it's not as good as the first one and i don't think it's as good as the third one but it's definitely like a good film and i do enjoy it and i do like it um and I watched it the other day, I rewatched it yesterday, and I could watch it again tomorrow, and it would have no real impact on, on me, and like thinking, oh, I watched this recently, because I, I would just happily watch it all the time. 
And a lot of that is to do with Bruce and his wonderful, wonderful performance as John McClane, who, and, and he's created this character that we love. We just love this character. He's just, the, he's just the man. He's the guy. Um, and, you know, we all want to be John McClane. Um, so from that angle, even though it's like my third favourite, but it is a great film and I do enjoy it, I, I'm going to give it an eight, I think, from my subjective point of view. I, I it, it, it holds up for me, this film. It's an eight. Like Die Hard, the original is ten. This is a nice eight. What about your film critic objective point of view? From an objective point of view, th- there's kind of a lot of work that could have been done and there's some bits could have been made better, but it, I think it's an entertaining film. I think there's some good bits in it. I think it's funny. Um, plus, you've got the seriousness. But again, the performance of Bruce Willis is, is just great. So I think I'm going to give it a seven. I think it's a solid seven for me. And Simon, what about you? What, what, let's start with your subjective. I, I imagine subjective isn't going to be that high because there's no personal feeling other than it's carryover from the first film that you love. That's, yeah, it's true. I mean, maybe maybe I'll just roll my ratings into one maybe because this is my first okay. time viewing it. Um, uh, I will... I would probably if we we don't do point fives here we do not do them. <laughs> if we did, I'd give it a seven point five, but we don't. And I don't think it's quite an eight, so I think I'd give it a seven. But I would prefix it with I really enjoyed it, and uh, also Die Hard one is a ten, absolutely. And I imagine I haven't seen it for a while, but I imagine Die Hard three is probably like an eight, maybe. So I feel like seven probably feels about right. Um, but yeah, it was. It really enjoyed it. I want to mention also the the musical score, which was um, like symbiotic to the first movie, it was so good, and I loved hearing those little the score coming in underneath. So great. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed watching it. Thank you for doing it. I think was this your suggestion? I think it was. Was it? Possibly, I did kind of say like, if we're gonna do Die Hard, we need to do the trilogy, like the the main trilogy. But we can chuck the fourth one in as well. I'm quite happy to do that one. Absolutely, we will. So nice. yeah, so thank you, thank you everybody for listening. This has been a lot of fun. Dom, are you able to take us out, John McLean? I don't know. I've only I've only really got welcome to the party, pal. That's all I've got. So. What about, well, it's not this movie. You could do it as Hans Gruber just because it's such a recognisable <laughs> voice, but it's not from this one. Is that going to be, like, sacrilegious? Uh, Either way, just say shoot the glass one time. Fuck it. Shoot the glass. <laughs> shoot the glass. Mr. Takagi. <laughs> shoot the glass. Ravens on three. One, two, Bill Clay. There will not be a four. Three, Raven. Le Raven. Raven.